Well, good morning, everyone. I'm not really scared to death. It's okay. Okay. So, we've been going over this series of the ingredients you need to be a successful Christian. And they've all been really important, amazing messages. Adele gave us a message on spiritual alertness. And um, Brad gave us the message on conviction and sticking to our beliefs and not compromising. And then um, Brenda's word appropriate for me today was on courage and how courage doesn't mean to not be afraid, but to do it anyway, even though you're afraid, hence today. <laughs> so um, pastor texted me to do mine on love and not hate. And I'm really honored to be up here for one and to have such an important ingredient to speak on because um, they're all extremely important, but they all stem from this, and the Bible tells us the root of everything we should do should be out of love, and it is the most important command. So as we get into this today, um, we're going to look at this as love is the active ingredient. So it's activating all of these other ingredients that we're talking about, that the message has been brought about. And we're going to talk about love as an action, not a feeling. And, um, you know, it's important to recognize that and that we understand that we're not talking about a feeling like the in love feeling. And yes, Love does feel like that. We meet our spouse with butterflies in our bellies and stars in our eyes, and they can do no wrong. That's the in love feeling that wears off. <laughs> and so what's left when you're done is what is true is true love. And true love is not that in love feeling. True love is what Jesus did for us on the cross. And, um, you know, we, we confuse this thing called love all the time, and the devil can devil can use love and manipulate you and play with your heart um, and to pull you in all different directions. Uh, so we're going to talk about that as well. Um, so yeah, that's the basics, is that we're going to talk about the true love, which is agape love. Okay, so we're going to look at this, and there's uh, four basic types of love as I was studying this. Um, we have the filio love. And I had to, um, you know, YouTube has videos on how to pronounce words <laughs> where, like, someone will actually audibly say it to you. So so trust me, these are the right pronunciations. <laughs> so filial love is like the love that we have for friends or family. Um, it's a brotherly love. You'll see this type of love between friends mostly, though it can also be between family members. Um, and it's similar to uh, Sturgeen. Uh, which is love between parents and children. So it's a, it's a tighter knit love. It's, it's closer than friendship. Um, neither of these is a romantic love. And then we have Eros, which is the romantic love. It's the love that we have for our spouse and for our spouse only, right? And, um, you know, the modern Greek word for this is erotas which means intimate love. So this is the type of love that attraction and lust and all that in love stuff comes from. Okay, but that is not the love that we're going to focus on today. Um, it's funny because in the Greek, the word love has all these different translations. But in English, love is love. There's one word. 
And, um, and when we read in the Bible and we read it in English, love is used so many times. But what we don't realize is that it's used in different contexts. Um, so this is the love we're going to focus on because this is what we have to achieve to be successful Christians. This is, this is not a human, this love is not of human origin. This is only spiritual, can only come from the Holy Spirit, and it is what sets us apart from the world, truly. Okay, so, um, so agape, this is the word we're going to talk about. So when I say love today, just assume that I'm talking about the word agape, because that's what I'm talking about. Um, so there's 310 scriptures in the Bible that mention the word love. 310. I don't know why. I find it powerful to look at how many times a word is used in the Bible. I feel that's really powerful. Um, and so agape is the most common word used in the New Testament. And in the New Testament, it's used 259 times. I mean, that should speak to its importance right there. And we're talking about agape love. Okay? Um, so we're going to go on. I'm not changing the slides. <laughs> I just realized that, guys. Sorry. Okay. Oh, they're changing them for... Okay. Um, okay. Bear with me. Because mine's not working. Here we go. Okay. Okay, so some scriptures that use this word agape, we can look at 1 John 4, 8, which says anyone who does not love, and they use the translation agape here, does not know God because God is love, and that translation is agape. So that tells us that this is, this is spiritual, and this is what God is trying to get us to achieve because, you know, this world is so full of hate and offense. And where everyone's against something and, and fighting against something. And as Christians, we need to be filled with this agape love or we are not going to be able to overcome that hate. In Romans 5.5, 5, it says, And hope does not put us to shame because God's love, agape, has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. So these are just a couple scriptures. Now this next one is really interesting. So in John 21:15, Jesus asks Peter, "Simon, son of Jonah, do you love me more than these?" And Jesus uses a translation agape. Well, when Peter responded to him, he responded, "I I love you. Yes, Lord, you know that I love you." But uh the translation that Peter used was filio. So even Peter, his own disciple, didn't get what Jesus was trying to to tell him what Jesus was trying to ask of him. And so I don't know, I just find that there's, there's definitely a hidden meaning, and, and how would we know this unless we study the different translations of love? Because in, in English, it's love, the word love. And so it seems to be that Peter's responding to him that, yes, Lord, I love you. But he was talking more of a brotherly love. So... Um, you know, that's why it's really important to get into to studying your Bible um, and get a study Bible and read the commentary because that's the, 
these, that's where you're going to find stuff like this. Um, and anyone who's been in this long enough, I'm sure, has gone over these types of love and heard of what agape is and what it means. But, okay, so we're going to look at next, we're going to look at how God the Father demonstrates agape to us. How he demonstrates his love to us. That this is how much God loved the world. That he gave his son, his one and only son, and this is why. So that no one need be destroyed. By believing in him, anyone can have a whole and lasting life. And God didn't go to all the trouble of sending his son merely to point an accusing finger, telling the world how bad it was. He came to help to put the world right again. Anyone who trusts in him is acquitted. Anyone who refuses to trust in him has long since been under this, the death sentence without knowing it. And why? Because of that person's failure to believe in the one-of-a-kind Son of God when introduced to him. That's amazing. If I'm, I'm pretty sure that this is from the Message Bible. I'm sorry, I usually write it on here. But this tells us the depth of God's love for us right here. This is it. He sent his son. How many of us would sacrifice our own child? And not just sacrifice, but send him to be born as a baby, grow up, love his mother, love his friends, you know, love God, learn to love God, preach these messages, be so powerful, knowing what was going to happen to him. As a parent, how, how could we ever say that we could do that? That's why it's, it's, it's got to be the agape love, because we couldn't. In our human selves, we could not do that. We could not sacrifice our child. Okay, so then look at this. We have Romans in 5, 6 through 11. For when we were still without strength in due time, Christ died for the ungodly. For scarcely for a righteous man will one die, yet perhaps for a good man someone would even dare to die. But God demonstrates his own love towards us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Much more than now, having been justified by his blood, shall we be, sa be saved from the wrath through him. For if, when we were enemies, we were reconciled to God through the death of his son, much more, having been reconciled, we shall be saved by his life. Enemies, you guys. So when we, you know, we talk about what Jesus did for us on the cross, and we, you know, like Jesus died for us. He died to save us from our sins. He paid for our debt. Hallelujah. We love him. Amen. But, you know, us sitting here today, we're saved. We're set free. We're set apart. Yes, we are. But this is not the us he died for. He died for us when we were his enemies. When we hated him in the sense that we did not want to follow him. In the sense that we did not invite him into our lives. His enemies... Now, now that is why it has to be this God-born and bred agape love, because it is against all human nature to die for our enemy. Maybe, like it says, maybe if it was someone we loved, maybe then we'd be willing to lay down our lives, but that's not who he died for. He died for the people. <laughs> okay, so... He died for the very people that were doing this to him, the ones that hated him, the ones that ridiculed him. So think of this. Jesus is born as a baby. 
He grows up. He loves his mother. He loves his friends. He learns, he learns his calling. He's, he's preaching. He's growing up. He's a man of power. He's never sinned. And he knows what's coming for him. He knows what's coming for him. So he gathers these disciples and he has these intimate, you know, agape relationships with them. And then he's betrayed by one of them. He's betrayed and he's captured and he's beaten and he's ridiculed and he's spit on and a crown of thorns dug into his head. He's beaten till he's unrecognizable and never once did he lash out. Never once did he say, I hate you. Never once did he say, you're going to hell. Never once did he defend himself. Never once did he try to say, wait, listen to my side? Never once. And that is the human thing to do, wouldn't you? If you were being persecuted the way Jesus was being persecuted, wouldn't you be like, wait, wait, let me tell my side. You're going to go to hell. You don't know who my father is. Never once did he call for help from heaven. Never once. And the Bible says that he could have called a league of angels to save him at any time. And had he done that, we would not be here today. So through all of this, and just when he couldn't bear any more, they laid a cross on his back and made him carry it up a hill, kicking him and spitting at him and ridiculing him the whole time, saying, come on, son of God, if you're the son of God, save yourself. Never once did he defend himself. Never once did he respond with hate. I mean, and that's the lesson to be look at here. If we can really grasp this, the, the picture of this, of, of that kind of love, of what it must have taken, the kind of love he must have had in his heart to then be hung on the cross, let them nail his hands and his feet down, and then ask the Father to forgive them for what they've done for him, to him. I mean, you guys, I mean, if we can just grasp this. And so this is, this is a picture of how we're commanded to love. And it's not a, it's not a question. It's not a request. It's not a, if you have time, it's, we are commanded to love people this way. And that is what's going to set us apart because that can only be from the spirit. And it isn't this, this filio love that's God looking, that God's looking forward. We're not out here to like make friends and, you know, of course we do, and that's wonderful. We need friendships. But we're here to love, you know, like with the missions. You know, and Anne goes out there. She doesn't know these people from Adam. And she's treating them with this agape love and laying her life down for them to, to show them the gospel. And that's, that's what we really need to get here. So if we're going to get this love walk down... You know, we need to be praying. We need to be praying all the time. You know, the Bible says not to repeat, you know, you don't have to repeat yourself. God hears your prayers. He answers your prayers. Yes, he, he knows your heart, all of this. But I can tell you the one precious prayer you should always be praying is, Lord, please help me love more like you love. Over and over, it's the most precious thing you could ever pray for yourself. Lord, change my heart so I am not offended, so I am not hate full of hate to love like you love lord it'll change you it really will because you know what's really funny and i've noticed about myself I've, I've you know just really done an inventory of myself through this and 
you know, when we're not even trying, God is still working on us. Like, we're not even trying. And then all of a sudden, something will come along, and the way we react to it, we're like, hmm, that's not normal of me. <laughs> and I told Brad, you know, it's like, I wasn't even really trying. And he's, like, really been working on me. <laughs> but anyway, um, so we, but we always have to be praying, you know, for this change because the closer we get to this, the more the devil's going to push his hate agenda because, I mean, because that's going to come. That's definitely going to come. So, um, so let's look at that for a minute. So the definition of hate, okay? An intense hostility and aversion usually deriving from fear anger, or sense of injury. That's the definition in Merriam-Webster. So we can see that it's a feeling, but it's not the root feeling. Hate is not something that, that comes along and, you know, it always stems from something else. So if we really break down where hate comes from and we trace it back to where it's actually coming from, it's from ourself. It's all from self. It's all me, 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 me. Someone offended me. Someone violated some unspoken rule or moral code. Um, jealousy, envy, hurt, fear. These are all me, 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 me. And, um, you know, so if we really look at the root cause of this, and why we hate this or that, it all comes down to self. The root of all strife comes down to what's going on inside of self. So these four things, I, I, I believe, are, are basically where hate derives from. And hate is always the last result. So the first thing that happens is you get offended. You get offended some way, and then that seed is planted. And then the devil comes along and waters it, and waters it, and waters it. And then before you know, you're filled with hate for this person, or this thing, or this group, or whatever whatever it is. Um, so this offense, it breeds hate. Someone hurts your feelings, it breeds hate. If someone um, has something you want, or is something you want to be, breeds hate, jealousy, envy. So I'm going to read an article to you that I came across. I don't have a song like all the other messages. I have an article, okay? So this article, understand, this is, this is coming from, think of it as coming from the head demon to his other demons, sending them out on assignment, okay? So it begins like this. My dear Wormwood, I was thrilled to hear you've been making progress with the mother. So this is going to be amongst a family, husband, wife, children, you have a good lead from what I hear. She feels overworked, unappreciated, and discouraged. I'm so glad to hear it. If you tread carefully, this can be a great opportunity. With the kids waking her up every hour last night, we already have an advantage. A tired mom makes for a more emotional mom, and an emotional mom is a vulnerable one. So I do have a few tips for you. First, aim your best efforts at her marriage. As you know, we cannot do anything with a unified marriage. Luckily for us, a cranky and exhausted wife can do wonders to change that. We must convince her that her husband is no longer the friend and ally she first married. 
Instead, we must reveal every sin and selfish habit, especially drawing attention to his thoughtless actions, malintended or not, against her. Sometimes the less obvious things, things the husband doesn't even realize that we can use to offend her the most. When he comes home from work and dumps his things on the counter nearest the door, hello, instead of hanging his coat or putting away his keys, let her think of this as a direct assault on her work as a homekeeper. When she, when he treks mud in with his shoes, let her think it's because he does not love her. Such extremes of thought may be ridiculous to you or I, but to an exhausted mortal woman, it can seem possible. Your goal is to make her think the husband does not notice, or even better, that he does not care about her efforts at home. Secondly, do what you can to keep her focused on her troubles and pains. Remind her how much her back aches, how draining the children were all day, and how many undone tasks still beckon her. Do not let her wonder what difficulties her husband faced that day or whether his back might also be aching. Valuing others above oneself is one of those silly, those strangely effective tactics of the enemy. He's using God as the enemy here. If she stops to make him a cup of coffee, the next thing you know, she'll be rubbing his shoulders and flirting with him on the couch. It can progress out of control if we're not careful. Along those lines, be sure the mother starts to value productivity above everything else. Have her wake up early and work nonstop until bedtime. Hello. If the husband relaxes in the evening with an hour of computer gaming, be sure the wife notices the pile of unfolded laundry or unswept floors. Do not let her grab a book and relax alongside her husband. Diligence, often one of the enemy's virtues, when overdone, can be used as an advantage as well. Convince her that as long as there is a shred of work to be done, and there always is, no one should be resting. Then, as she folds and sweeps and he sits, you can introduce the sweet bitterness of resentment. A word of caution here, remember, the love of a husband can be dangerous to our cause, if he senses her unhappiness, he may, begin to, he may begin to help or even worse, show her affection. This is where previously planted seeds of resentment can be guided into full bloom. Make her think that his displays of affection are only because, or because he only wants one thing. Do not let her view his help with the dishes or kisses or cuddling as having pure motives. If he shows his desire for her, convince her that she's being used, not loved. As we both know, the ultimate act of marriage can bond them together in a way that can undo much hard work on our part. Because of this, do not allow her to prioritize that act on her mental to-do list. It is in our best interest to keep the wife busy, 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 and be sure she is far too exhausted to even consider it by the end of the evening. Now on to the children. Lovely little opportunities for us. The children, especially the little ones, we all know children are the favorite tool of the enemy. He's referring to God. He calls them blessings and gifts and calls parents to lay down their lives for him just as his son did. Insane, I know. We must convince her that the obnoxious little people she has charge of are not really worth her sacrifice. When the mother first dreamed of having children, she probably imagined large, innocent eyes and chubby, happy grins taking up the majority of her days. Do your best to shatter those expectations. Instead, draw her attention 
to how much they take from her. Let them take and take and take and need and need until the mother feels totally spent. Let them start crying at the same time for the most irrational reasons. Let the noise bother her. Let their bad behavior surprise her. Do your best to make the day-to-day monotony of diaper changes, meals, and baths seem simultaneously overwhelming and beneath her. Let her think of all the better, more important things she could be doing with her life if she only didn't have children. I'm almost done. I'm finished. Okay. Don't let her think about the future, responsible, faithful adults she is raising, society changers, friends, workers, husbands, or wives. Don't let her think of them as lifelong companions who will love her, converse with her, and care for her in her old age. Oh, and definitely don't let her think about the grandchildren she might be able to see in her, their little grubby faces if she's looking too hard. No, 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 thinking ahead to when her work bears fruit, as the enemy calls it, is always bad. Keep words like heritage and legacy far from the runny noses and jelly stains of the day-to-day. If there's any last piece of advice I would have for you, Wormwood, it is to keep the mother looking to her husband or family for fulfillment and comfort. We know that the enemy is always watching and willing to take the burdens of his children, but if we divert the mother's attention well enough, this fact can be forgotten. Make her look to her husband for her worth and her affirmation. Then when he lets her down, as he is sure to do, she will be ours to torment. Yes, the worst thing that could happen would be for her to turn to him with her needs and inadequacies. Once she realizes that the enemy offers a peace that transcends her situation, our work could be utterly compromised. Signed, your malevolent uncle. So that was a lot, but that is how easy a little offense can take root. And by the end of this, she is a broken woman with regrets for her children, for her husband. Her husband doesn't love her. He doesn't appreciate her. I mean, that's, that's how easy it can, it can happen. Are you with me? Does everyone get that? Okay. So here it is. Offense equals hurt, equals anger, equals hate. So we really have to be, um, you know, diligent and alert like Adele preached about because if we're not, if we're not looking at this, and look, I, I've been guilty of this. Man, can I stay busy. There is always something to do. And Brad works hard all day and he comes home and he wants to rest. How dare him? <laughs> I mean, honestly, I've been waiting for him to get home to do some work. After working all day, right? No, but this is how it used to be. It caused a lot of problems between us. It really did. Until I started confessing right away, devil, you are a liar. That is my husband who I love. He loves me. I'm going to honor him like God tells me to. Like, you have to tell yourself these things. You have to stop it right away because it will grow. It will grow into hate. And then the next thing you're, I mean, it, it turns into, it can be just from that for him throwing his stuff on the table, and the next thing you know, you're talking about divorce. That's how it happens, you know? So here it is. It all starts with offense. So this is why pastor, I mean, I think, I think this is why pastor repeatedly tells us about the dangers of being offended and why we shouldn't be so, why we shouldn't be so offendable. And it may seem like he's just probably sick of hearing us whine, which may be true as well. But, um, or putting out fires, which that's probably true as well. 
But here is the revelation that God has given given to me. Are you ready? He's repeatedly spoken about the dangers of being offended because offense breeds hate, and you cannot hate your brothers and sisters in Christ and achieve agape love. You cannot hate out of offense and still love like Christ loves us. And if we can't love like Christ, then we cannot be successful Christians, period. All of this, alertness, conviction, courage, all of this, we're going to hear about encouragement, all of these fruits mean nothing without love. It all, because you know what? The Bible says that God judges our heart. So we could be out here doing all this work. We could be feeding the poor, praying with the widow. We could be doing all of that. It means nothing. It means nothing if we're just, we're just spinning our wheels, doing what we're supposed to be doing, unless it's coming from a place of agape love, unconditional, selfless love. So, um, so that's it. It can't just be making friends. It can't be just like, well, you know what? This person didn't text me this week. So that's it. I'm not talking to him anymore. That's it. You know what I mean? It's got to be unconditional or it's just, it's just not going to work. It's not going to work because you're going to keep, it's going to keep, you're going to keep getting offended because the devil's always going to throw things in your path and you're going to keep stumbling and you're going to go around the same mountain over and over and over again until you let it go, until you let it go. So we've looked at how the father sends his son, gives up his son, this agape, unconditional love, sacrifices his only son for us to be to be saved. So just to be with us, really. This is why he did it is because he loves us so much. He just wanted us back. And so, um, so we looked at that. Then we looked at it was all put on Christ. And then Christ exhibits the same agape love towards us. And so you may ask, well, how do we do this? What does it look like? And so we cannot talk about love without talking about 1 Corinthians 13. So this is what it looks like, because we don't know. In, in, the, in the natural, we don't know what agape love is. It's not human to love our enemies. It's not human to, like, meet a stranger and love them. You know what I mean? So here it is. Love never gives up. Love cares more for others than itself. Love does not want what it does not have. Love doesn't strut, doesn't have a swelled head, doesn't force itself on others, isn't always me first, doesn't fly off the handle. I'm guilty of that, I'll admit it. Doesn't keep score of the sins of others. Doesn't revel when others grovel. Takes pleasure in the flowering of the truth. Puts up with anything. Trusts God always. Always looks for the best. Never looks back. Uh, but keeps going into the end. So this is it. This is what it's supposed to look like. So the Apostle Paul is telling us this here because people weren't getting it. The Corinthians, they weren't getting it. They, I mean, he was actually uh, in the in the study Bible I was reading. It was saying that he was actually angry with people at their lack of of loving people, of their selfishness. And so we go on because we just have to keep going on with the scripture. Love never dies. Inspired speech will be over someday. Praying in tongues will end. Understanding will reach its limit. We know only a portion of the truth about God, about what we say about God, and it's always incomplete. But when the complete arrives, when our incompleteness will be canceled, and we'll go on. 
So we don't see things clearly yet. We're squinting in a fog, peering through a mist. But it won't be long before the weather clears and the sun shines bright. And we'll see it all then. See it as clearly as God sees us, knowing him directly just as he knows us. But for right now, until that completeness, we have three things to do to lead us toward that consummation. Trust steadily in God. Hope unswaveringly unswervingly, love extravagantly, and the best of these three is love. So I'm going to ask the prayer team to come up because I'm going to ask anybody who's holding any bitterness, any offense, any hate in their heart, and look, this altar should be full because everyone's got something. Everyone is dealing with something. That, that maybe they haven't laid down, they haven't let go of. So I'm going to ask you to come up. Today, leave them at the altar. Lay down your offenses. Lay down the hurt feelings. Because you know what? Most of the time, people aren't even meaning to do it. You know? And the thing is, if someone does deliberately do something to hurt your feelings, the Bible tells us to pray for our enemies. Do good to those who curse you. Because that will change things in the spiritual realm. If we let us, okay, so if that person acts this way out of something that maybe devil gave them to treat you badly, and then you let that seed grow into hate, and now both of you are operating out of the sin of hate and offense. We have to be different. We have to be set apart from the world. And, and unless we get this down, guys, it's not going to change. We're not going to change. And I'll tell you, there was a time in my life, my sister died in, in 2015. Everything hurt. Everything hurt. People didn't call me enough. People didn't text me enough. People didn't, their lives didn't stop like mine did. And that hurt me. And for a long time, I operated out of this offense. And it's exhausting. It is exhausting. So I'm asking you now, to lay it down, leave it here at the altar. Come and get agreement with people that, that this hate, this offense is not going to live in your heart anymore. You cannot live with love and hate in the same heart. So make a choice today. Make a choice today. Are you going to keep being offended? Because I'm going to tell you something in the long run, it really does not matter. Because when we, when we meet Jesus, when we stand face to face with Jesus, All we're going to want to hear is, well done, good and faithful servant. He's not going to want to hear about who said what to us. He doesn't care and it doesn't matter. You know? So I'm just asking if anyone has anything in their hearts that they want to lay down. Or or even if you feel like you're all right in that area and you just want this precious prayer for yourself to help me love more like Jesus loves. Help me love. Fill me with agape, Lord. Fill me with agape, Lord. Then come up and get prayer. And so I'm just going to close with a prayer. So if everyone could just bow your heads and listen to your hearts. And and if you feel the Lord tugging on your heart to come get prayer, don't. Look, there's no shame here. No one's judging you. But Lord, I just thank you for this day, God. I thank you, Lord, for your word that you teach us constantly with your word, Lord. And then in hearing things that you have done for us, God, hearing how you sacrificed yourself, Father, how you sacrificed your son, 
how well you were, how when you were beaten and bruised and ridiculed, Lord, that you, you did what you had to do for us. You were filled with agape, Lord, and we just ask right now for all of these people that a mighty wind blow through this place right now in the name of Jesus. A mighty wind of agape love come fill us right now in the name of Jesus. Holy Spirit, come. Holy Spirit, come and break people down. Break people down and I cast out offense. I cast out the hate. I cast out the hurt feelings, the jealousy, the feeling of violation. I cast it out right now in the name of Jesus because it's not from God. It is not from God. We are called to love like you love, Lord. And so I just ask right now, God, that you just blow in this place today, God, and fill all of our hearts with the love that you have for us, God. Teach us. Teach us, God, and don't stop until we get it, God. In your mighty name we pray. Amen.